0: Hello and welcome to the New Ears Podcast, an auditory exploration of the art of the album. I'm your host, Jonathan Humphrey. In this episode, we will be discussing the Tegan and Sarah album, The Con. It was their fifth studio album and it was released on July 24th, 2007. This album was actually a pretty big hit in Canada. It reached number four on the Billboard chart and number 34 in the American chart. While all songs are written by Tegan or Sarah, there are a lot of guest musicians on this album as well, including Jason McGurr of Death Cab for Cutie and Matt Sharp of The Rentals and Weezer. My guest today is Jason Wiggs, a musician and a good friend. So let's go ahead and get to our talk. sitting here with Jason Wiggs. Jason, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. So before we get into the talking about the uh, subject at hand today, I just want to give you a chance if you had something you'd like to plug or, you know, a recommendation you'd like to make to people or a cause to promote, you know, just go ahead and get that out there now.
1: Uh, I'd like to promote my band Glue Traps. We're a five-piece hardcore band out of Baltimore, Maryland, and our seven-inch record came out last year on To Live A Lie Records. Out of Raleigh, North Carolina, and it's available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Bandcamp. Uh, and the name of the the seven inch is Future Shocks.
0: Okay, great. So everyone should check that out. Well, let's just dive right into it. Tegan and Sarah's the con. Now this is uh this is an album you brought in, and what was your relationship with Tegan and Sarah historically? Before this, I had not really listened to them
1: very much. I had heard them through friends, but never really got into them. And then when I heard this album, this is what like turned me on to them and been a fan
0: since. I had heard Tegan and Sarah kind of similarly. Like I knew who they were. I had people in my life who would listen to them. And I've definitely heard a whole album before this one, but I think this album surprised me a little bit more based on what I knew about the band. Mm-hmm. Just some of the sounds on this. But before we get into that, let's just talk about, let's talk about the title itself. I mean, they've actually said a lot about this album but what do you take from the title of the album
1: uh it's kind of like like building up this persona of who you want people to perceive you as and then people figuring it out
0: <laughs> that's really interesting because again they've said things but to me in a way and i have this as a note about the title track but it what you're saying is the kind of the basis but it's like relationships in a lot of ways are a con yeah. like you're putting a certain face on yeah in that context yeah yeah it's all it's all kind of a trick there are four things that they've said lots of this album is about. So there's a breakup, a long-term breakup, mm-hmm. a significant other slash friend trying to get a green card, yeah. the death of their grandmother, mm-hmm. and then there's a, a relationship with the person that's very confusing. Like, they want it to be romantic, but it's not necessarily, or they don't know. Yeah. So that's what's going on. And I feel like all those things, like, if you look at them individually, can fit under the idea of the con. Definitely. It sounds weird saying a dead relative is a con, but the loss the loss of someone feels like you're being tricked or yeah so those are kind of the base points about what it's about other things i wanted to point out was i noticed that the words dark and circles appeared on this album a lot yes at least two songs specifically circles but dark appears a lot dark goes actually
1: in my notes is very large as the mood for this album
0: this album has a lot of really nice understated instrumentation. What seems like they could be like four piece rock group songs, but the understated stuff in the background of these, this album really hit me in a way that I really appreciated that. And then once you
1: realize who's playing on this album, which we'll get into, I'm sure you're like, oh, this makes
0: sense. Well, why don't you go ahead and say who's playing? I mean, I'm going to have a little note on top, but I know the the guy from Death Cab from Cutie is on the album, right? Uh, Chris Walla is the
1: producer and he plays on the whole album. He does guitars, keyboards, organs, uh, random like percussion and bass on a couple of songs. And then the drummer from Death Cab uh, plays on the entire album.
0: And that's one thing, and one of my other notes about this album is, you know, I, I appreciate Death Cab, and maybe I need to go back and listen to them a little bit more, but I was really excited by the drumming on this album. Yeah, it's incredible. It's really good. And it's, it's again, these songs could, they do more than just, like, give the songs a backbeat. Because these, these song, a lot of these songs could suffice with just having a beat, but these drums take it a step further. Yeah,
1: and you can tell that, too, because there's, like, a couple of songs that don't have any percussion, and they are just as good without percussion.
0: Yeah. I didn't really have a lot to say about this album up top, but one of my last notes about it is: I mean, if you look at the track lengths, it's obvious, but this album goes by really fast. Yeah. For being such a dark, moody piece, it's really fast paced. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times when you have an album that's, that's as dark as this, they kind of want you to sit with that darkness. But I feel like in this album, and maybe it's just because the reference to one of the songs later, but it almost just feels like a stabbing, like to stab you with darkness real fast. But I don't know. Uh, what else would you like to say about the album before we, we close off the general discussion? One of the
1: things that I feel about this album is that like it's definitely a bridge from their earlier indie pop folk music into like the more mainstream pop that they do later on like it's the album that brings the two sounds
0: together i could see that that's also something i wanted to say is if you had to describe this album in a you know an am- amalgamation of genres exactly how would you say this it's indie emo-ish pop punk i would on this album and not necessarily there are other albums i'm pretty close to that i would say it's like power pop slash pop punk with some dance and hip hop influences. Yeah. Definitely a lot of like the hip hop
1: and dance influences which is what I was saying is the bridge to their more like straightforward pop albums that they do later.
0: Yeah, I mean that's actually what surprised me about this album so much was the I think the previous albums that I had heard by them and I don't I don't know them by name off the top of my head but they did not have that hip hop influence and I think yeah. I think that's really interesting and serves what they're doing on this album in a cool way. Yeah, it's definitely the first
1: album where they started, like, incorporating more electronica. Yeah, and
0: it really pays off.
1: And it's also kind of like, it feels like it being a bridge in what they're doing musically. It's also like a bridge of bridging, like, their life from being younger children to, like, older adults and still doing the same thing in the music industry like being progressing throughout their life
0: yeah and i think they were what in between the ages of like 24 through 26 when they were working on this album uh yeah i think so it's a big change in a person's life and it's a well not necessarily a big change but it's it's a defining moment and to have been playing music and starting young it is it's a it's a milestone in your career to to have started young and still be doing it at this age and actually gaining an audience. Yeah, this I think this was their fifth album at the time. Yeah, well, I think we're gonna take a quick break here and then we will come back and we'll start talking about the songs track by track. Right, we're back from break and we're talking about Tegan and Sarah's The Con we're going to start with track 1 and hear a little bit of I Was Married So I think that's a really interesting opening song musically for this album.
1: Yeah, I feel like it kind of just like sets the mood uh, for the entire album as like darker than their previous material.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, it has that really almost, I've used this term before in this show, but a wistful sound. It's not a harp being played, is it? It's almost harp-like.
1: Uh, no, I think it's just a guitar.
0: Yeah, I thought so too, but but you see what I'm saying, right? Doesn't it kind of have like a harp feel to it? Yeah. What I think is really interesting is that I feel like just right off the bat, we're, we're talking about, about it being an album. I feel like they kind of parallel this song throughout the album. I feel like, you know, it starts here on track one and then somewhere around halfway, or yeah, track eight, which we'll get into, is kind of a, a song that's a little bit like this. And then even the last track kind of has that where they're taking it down to a much softer place than a lot of the rest of the album. Yeah. So I feel like it gives it a lot of good consistency with that. Definitely. Oh, I don't know. What, what do you think about this song, like lyrically, meaning? Um, I mean,
1: it's obvious like that it's about a specific situation that Sarah was dealing with at the time of someone she was dating that uh, was from America and they were trying to get a visa for them to live in Canada with her and they ended up actually doing a commitment ceremony and so they were basically married.
0: Yeah and the one thing that she said about it was that in a lot of ways the song is a reaction to all the homophobia and hate she felt in her life and that in, in ways it was supposed to be sad and hopeful and I think this song does hit the hopeful notes more than a lot of the rest of the album. I don't know. It's a, it's a pretty short song, and it does what it needs to at the beginning of it, but I didn't really have any more thoughts on it. I don't know where you are with it. I don't think so. I think it's probably one of my least
1: favorite songs on the album. Not my least favorite.
0: I can see that. I've. It's kind of hard for me to judge it as a song on its own more than it is just an opening to an album.
1: Yeah, I feel as it's like a good intro. It's not something that you're going to skip because it's the first album and it gets you like to where the other songs are but it just kind of feels like a filler to me almost even though it's the first song
0: yeah it can it definitely is a little bit of a filler well let's go ahead then and play a little bit of track two relief next to me So yeah, it definitely picks up a lot after listening
1: to that first song. Definitely. And this is a song that, to me, you can definitely tell the influence that Sarah had from Against Me the baseline is almost identical to an against me song don't lose touch from their album searching for a former clarity uh that came out in 2005
0: Hmm. yeah i'm not i know against me but i don't know them that well so i wouldn't have picked that up but i can see that i feel like there's a lot of places on this album where they really show some influence and in a good way not in like a bad way but there's definitely like influence and as we were saying earlier they're pulling from a lot of more places than they might normally would yeah what I got from this song is is it's kind of about admitting your own flaws maybe specifically to a lover but it is a lot about being aware of your own faults
1: and I feel like that theme comes up a lot in this album as we get into more of the songs.
0: Yeah, it's a very self-reflexive album. One of the lines I really liked in this song, and it's it's very simple. It's not it's not like a mind-blowing line, but just the way they play with it. I love the repetition in it, is the in and out of wind, in and out of windows. I really like the way that plays with, you know, the winded windows. It's an easy thing to do, but I don't feel like I hear that as much as you would think you would. I have one big question. What do they don't need? Because the line in the song is, "I won't go my whole life telling you I don't need." That's a good question. It seems so obvious, but when you sit there and think about it, I mean, that's one thing I, I came to with the song was like, "She won't say telling you I don't need love." Attention! It doesn't feel like it's either one of those, even though it could easily be either one of those. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find myself reading that line properly, and I just was wondering if maybe you had some clarity on it. Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, what else would you like to say about the song? I think I'm. My only notes on that were just like
1: the comparison to "Against Me," and really just how Sarah was like really into them at the time.
0: Yeah, and I mean it's a good song. I it might be one of the stronger songs on the album. I won't call it a standout but i definitely find this one to be a pretty strong song and it's a great way to lead off from the first track into this one yeah well that's the case we're gonna gonna play a little snippet of track three the con (laughs) kind of talked about the title of this song up top a little bit, but how do you feel like it plays into this song more specifically than the album as a whole? Just
1: reiterating that whole like creating this person or like this character that you're pretending to be to people and that it all falls apart on you and they figure out who you really are it's like imposter syndrome kind of thing
0: ah yes good old imposter syndrome i'm sure we've all felt that at some point in time or every day probably like
1: something that they were i mean i would assume because they're like this is when they started blowing up and like started getting a lot of press and
0: getting like thousands of people coming to their shows were
1: during this time period
0: yeah i mean that would that has a lot of effect on a, an artist in general. Yeah. One thing I'd like to talk about with this song is there's a line about no one likes to, but I really like to cry. Yes. And I was like, I think a lot of people actually like to cry. Yeah. Nobody's going to admit it. <laughs> right, right. It's not something you're going to be like, oh man, it's Saturday night. I'm going to have myself a good cry. I mean, I feel like... But I, uh... i mean i might have said that before but (laughs) i was was like i feel like i've heard you say that before (laughs) Uh, yeah but but the thing is is that i think it's an interesting play on that because i think it is one of those things that everybody needs to cry eventually. It is a good release, but I feel like the play on it is the fact that just to go along with the title, her crying is part of the con. Yeah. I mean, cause the, the follow up line is nobody likes me. Maybe if I cry, but what else would you like to say about this song?
1: This song to me has uh, a lot of like influence from Kate Bush. You can tell, especially in like the, I think it's the pre-chorus and then it gives it, I feel like it's like a taste of the straightforward pop songs that, they're gonna write in the future like this is like edging more towards that
0: instead of more the folky indie stuff that they've been doing and, and that's interesting because i do like folky indie stuff but i feel like this might be the first standout track on the album for me yeah so it's interesting that the pop like wh- the other thing I'll, i have a few notes one of the things is like the synths or the keys on this song are fantastic
1: yeah that's the the part that like really stands out as a, being something that sounds like it's almost like directly from like a kate bush record or something the, the synth parts that they do
0: it goes back to what i was saying at the beginning like it's understated too which is great like that's what gives this album a lot of its feeling is these like very understated things it the the synths or the even the drums where it's not like turned up way loud so that it's the focus but it really builds into the song a lot yeah i don't normally pick like a line from every song and I didn't hear but just two songs in a row I uh, really liked the flow of the line I imagine imagine you when i was distant not insistent, and i just thought that was a really good rhyme too the big thing to say about this is before they had titled the album originally this song was called encircle me yes and i feel like we talked about circles come up a lot i feel like this album could have been titled encircle me just as much as it could have been titled the con yeah because i mean it's a different side of the same thing like if if you're looking at yourself and you're building yourself in a certain way there's also the feeling of people are closing in people are getting Trying to get close to you, all kinds of things that just fit the same way the con would. Yeah, of being like trapped. Yeah, exactly. But I also feel like they. Talk about circles more throughout this album than they give a name to the con. I mean, it's there in this song and in the title, but the circles do yeah. pop up a lot more than that. Yeah. But yeah, so I, like I was saying, I think this is my first standout track of the album, but I'm running dry on things unless there's something you wanted to add. No, I don't think so. All right. Well, we're going to play a little bit of track four, Knife Going In. So since you were so dead on with the uh, the last two songs i'm really curious about this the intro of this song really reminds me of something oh i don't i can't place what it is but it has a really familiar feeling to it hmm. um i'm not sure it's that guitar it almost i can't place what it's familiar of but it's just that intro with the guitar yeah uh yeah i'm, I'm not sure we don't, we don't have to dwell on the guitar. What would you like to say about this song up front?
1: This is one where I would like to talk about another person that played on this album, Matt Sharp of Weezer and the Rentals.
0: Oh, I didn't even realize that credit.
1: Yes, he played bass on all of Sarah's songs. That's interesting. It's very interesting because uh, at the time he said that the fiercest, most debilitating wave of depression struck his mind with such a violent force that it left him spinning for months. And then that's when he got the demos for this album. Wow. Yeah.
0: So did that help his depression?
1: No. He actually um, was trying to work on the songs at home in his studio and then initially told Sarah, there's absolutely no way I'm going to make it up to Portland and help you with
0: this. Apparently there was a way.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I guess eventually he got it together and made his way up there and recorded these songs with them. That's really a lot of what I get from this song is... Depression.
0: Yeah. Well, apparently it's based on a dream Sarah had. Uh Uh-huh. A nightmare she had after the death of her grandmother. She apparently dreamt that Tegan had been stabbed and that, that she, Sarah, crawled in bed with her grandmother for refuge. Oh, wow. And it makes sense as a dream you have after someone you love dies. Yeah. And... There's an anxiety to this song.
1: Definitely. It's almost uncomfortable to listen to sometimes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Even in that aforementioned intro, just, it's hard to say, but like the seesawing of the notes in a way. This is one little funny thing that I noticed. Sometimes it's easy to understand lyrics and I'd say for the most part, their lyrics aren't that hard to hear. But in the refrain, she says anxious. Mm -hmm. And the way that anxious is said makes it not sound like anxious. But then when I went back and read the lyrics, because it sounded like a knife going, I feel it in my chest is what I kept hearing. But the word is, I feel anxious. Oh, yeah. But I Mm -hmm. feel like the delivery just adds to that feeling
1: of anxiety. No, I've definitely heard it like that too. Like the feeling in my chest.
0: Once you know the line and you listen to that line, Just the delivery just adds to the feeling. Yeah, I think this song is kind of like almost a nice balance from what they're trying to do in I Was Married and then they're more rocking songs at the same time. Yeah. All right, well, let's go ahead and play some of track five, Are You 10 Years Ago? This is probably my favorite song on the whole album. Oh, really? This
1: is definitely my least favorite song on the whole album.
0: I had a feeling we might come to this, but that's interesting. Why is it your least favorite song or one of your least favorites?
1: I don't know if it's like the harshness of it or the... I feel like it breaks up the album a lot. It's like... It's not a lot like other songs on this album. No, not at all. And it just kind of like, it feels like it almost doesn't fit to me. And it's just like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's kind of like off kilter. It's like.
0: It is. And I, let me ask you this. Does the repetitiveness of it bother you? I think, I think the
1: repetitive is a lot. The repetitiveness is a lot of it too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Cause you know, that, that usually bothers me. Well, it doesn't always bother me, but that can be a factor to really bothering me. Mm-hmm. But First off, I think this is the most hip-hop-influenced song on the whole album. Uh-huh. But because of that, I love the vocal rhythms in this song.
2: Uh-huh.
0: The the way they're playing off of each other, the just... And, and I think maybe that's why it feels so hip-hop to me. But everything, like, I liked the rhythm of the song in general. And it does break up the album, but I don't think it necessarily does in a bad way. There's just something really... It's dark. Yeah. the The darkness of the mm-hmm. album really persists here, and like you're saying, there is a harshness to this song that isn't even in their like louder, more aggressive songs. Yeah. That's something that that really hit me. I also liked the title, even though it could be a typical standard emo song title. <laughs> but what does what does the title mean to you here? I really didn't even think about it that much because.
1: But I mean, it's like thinking about like someone that's like behind the times
0: or like yeah i mean that's the thing is when i kind of read it I, it is kind of almost like based in the the lyrics and i don't think this is in fact there was a note about what it's actually about but just because like it feels like a relationship that's kind of ending and one person is aware of it and the other is not yeah
1: it's definitely yeah it's definitely about like an end of a relationship or it feels like it is or and like seeing things from a different point of view like growing up
0: well and that's that's funny because apparently it was written with the intent of feeling like you're 15 again yeah so that would have been 10 years for the singer oh yeah so that's where it comes from but i can kind of see that but i feel like parts of this song don't feel like teenage angsty or anything Mm -hmm. like i feel like there's a bigger maturity to this song than that title and feeling implies but like i was saying like i love the rhythms of this song and one of the lines in particular, I'm not going to try to deliver it <laughs> properly, but the lyrics were great. It's like, when you felt like this, when you saw it all come crashing down, subtle but not underground, I was there, I saw the signs, I saw unfair, and so I write to you through other means. Those couple lines are really great. And again, it's not, it's not necessarily like, there's nothing like, oh, I don't even understand how that's done. It's just done in a way where it plays, and then the delivery itself really strengthens it. I could keep talking about how much I love this song. And it's, I, I really had a feeling that you were going to not like the song and it was my favorite song on the album. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to come up, but uh, is there anything else you wanted to say before we move on? No, I,
1: I didn't have anything else, but uh, if if you want to keep talking about it, go ahead.
0: <laughs> no, I think I think we'll go ahead and play a little bit of track number six, Back In Your Head. I think not necessarily in genre, but in sound. This might be the poppiest song on the album. Definitely. Uh, it's also my favorite song on the album. Yeah. <laughs> it was the it was the first single, right? It was, yeah. I think that makes sense. Uh,
1: it's actually the, the first song that I heard off of the album. Yeah, it was on the college radio station up here in Baltimore after I moved up here. Because this came out right after I moved up to Baltimore.
0: Well, I also found it interesting that it was covered by Cindy Lauper. Yes. Uh, that's something for our listeners to go check out. I mean, if you don't know who Cindy Lauper is, you're you're missing out. But
1: uh, <laughs> I'd hope everyone knows who Cindy Lauper is.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would hope. But uh, I would say that you should listen to Time After Time and remind yourself if you don't. Go ahead and say what you think this is about, then what what you want to say, and other things.
1: To me, it's a it's a lot about like looking back on the past and realizing your mistakes personally. And I know that for Sarah specifically, it was about a relationship that she was in that she met someone new, but didn't want to leave the comfortableness of that relationship that she was in, but still wanted to have this like emotional connection with this new person, but still have the relationship with her partner.
0: Right. I think she even said, because there's the line i'm not unfaithful but i'll stray yes and then she broke it down saying she's not going to cheat but she will be into multiple people which is interesting and i but i feel like that also plays into a lot of what i got from it was a fear of intimacy too and that kind of goes back to the whole the con theme and the wearing a mask and whatever of the whole album i like this song for sure but it, i it's not one of my standouts so what else would you want to say about it? What what really brings it there for you?
1: I think it's just the chorus of it, uh, how it's just like I I just want back in your head, like saying like, I just want you to think about me and uh, not forget me because I'm off with somebody else. I, I just like how it's worded.
0: Yeah, and it's it's super catchy. Like it's such an earworm worm, it'll get stuck in your head yeah. for sure. Well, why don't we take a moment and play a little bit of track seven, hop a plane. The train
2: back back to where I came from. I took it all alone. It's been so long, I know. Imagine me there, my heart asleep with no air. Begging you should please help me drown these memories. All I need to hear is that you're not mine, you're not
0: mine. Alright, it's time for me to now call out one of the musical reference points and I'm sure you're going to hear this as soon as I say it. Okay. The beginning guitar is basically Rancid's 11th hour. Yep. It it totally is, right? I mean, the rest of the song doesn't sound anything like it, except for in the fact that the bass is doing a lot of cool things in this song.
1: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And I mean, whether you like Rancid or not, you can't argue that their bass player is really good and is probably the most talented member of their band. So. Sure. Okay. Sure. Well, who's more talented in Rancid? Tim Armstrong is an amazing songwriter, but we
1: won't even get into that.
0: Well, yeah, okay, that's fair. And he's written songs for people that you wouldn't even know unless you looked into it. Like, I know he wrote for Pink.
1: He wrote, yeah, he wrote an entire album for Pink. He wrote, um, I think, the entire um, album for, or most of it for um, Ozzy Osbourne's daughter. Really? (laughs) Yeah, he wrote, He's done like a bunch of commercials. He one that like sticks out in my mind is like the there's like a Garnier Frutice commercial that was like all over the place back in like in the early two thousands that he wrote. So yeah.
0: Yeah, he's very very prolific. So there's a musician whose music I like who has done some terrible things that have come to light recently and that makes me very sad because I really like his music. But also it connects because he toured with Tegan and Sarah uh-huh. and he put out a mixtape in which he'd ask people to give him topics to freestyle and they give him a list of topics to freestyle and you can hear them do that. But he also once told a story of being on Warp's Tour and meeting Tim Armstrong and how Tim mm-hmm. Armstrong was so blown away by him that they, they went into his tour van and started working on music together immediately. Oh, wow. Then Tim was like, all right, I'm going to talk to you at the next stop or whatever. We'll do more. And then Tim just disappeared. And then he didn't hear from him for years. (laughs) And then he ran into him like four years later. And an almost similar thing happened. And then it just disappeared again. And he hasn't seen him since. That's crazy. So to wrap up the Tim Armstrong thing, do you think, songwriting aside, do you think he is as good at guitar as Matt Freeman is at bass?
1: Uh, No. He is better at guitar than a lot of people give him credit for, though. Fair. He plays most of the lead parts on all of the Rancid albums, even though um, the other guitar player, uh, Lars Fredrickson, is credited as the lead guitar player. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I know this because I've seen them live a few times, and he's always playing, like, the lead parts. But getting back to the point of it sounding like a Rancid song at the beginning of this is probably due to the fact of the person who plays bass on this song who also plays bass on all of Tegan's songs, is Hunter Bergen, the bass player of AFI.
0: Oh, really? Yes. Man, they have a lot of crazy guest musicians on this album. Yes. That makes sense, though. That definitely checks out. So the the basis of this song is that one of the topics we touched up on top, this is really about being confused about the nature of a relationship.
1: I feel like it has a lot of like lyrical like similarities to Back in Your Head, actually.
0: Yeah, well there's this kind of movement because I feel like the next song also has some lyrical similarities to that. So I feel like this is kind of a section of the album where that's more of the focus than the other things.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like a a lot about relationships in these like three songs. Very, very personal. It is really personal.
0: And this album is a very personal album. Definitely. I don't know. Do you have this album on vinyl? Uh, No, I do not. I don't know how it's divided, but this, this would be, if it's divided perfectly evenly this would be the halfway point of the album at the end of this song i don't think that it is but it it might be well i mean it is track seven out of 14 so it, it would make sense on the vinyl but it not necessarily is the case yeah but let's go ahead and take a second and listen to a little bit of track eight soil soil i
2: feel like a fire, so i'm going to stop troubling you, Marie.
0: So like we were saying in the last track, this definitely has a lyrical theme that continues from the last two, but it's also like I was saying up top, even if it's not the start of side two on the record, it definitely feels like it is because it's reflective of that first song in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. It very much echoes the, uh, I was married. I feel like with the tone and uh, it's short and to the point kind of thing. Yeah. And no drums again.
0: Exactly. And it, It's weird because, I mean, you said you felt like uh, Was I or, or Are You 10 years ago kind of breaks up the album. But I feel like this could break up the album, too, in that same way. I mean, it still fits with the musical themes, but if they didn't go back to having a softer song at the very end, it'd be very weird to just leave this style of sound here and be done with it for the rest of the album. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I Like I said, it, in a lot of ways, since it is like the first song, I do feel like this song is kind of another one where it's, I don't want to say filler. Filler is the wrong word, but it is a, it mm-hmm. is about a transition in the album more than it is the song itself.
1: Yeah, it definitely brings you to the next song.
0: Yeah, in the next movement, I guess, because I feel like there some of the upcoming songs are still about relationship, but those... Three songs are the, the strongest like examples of relationship. And I feel like a lot of the latter half of the album has a little bit more familial meaning than the, the front half. Yeah. And I mean, with that in mind, is there, is there something else you want to throw in about Soil, Soil? It,
1: it is the first track on side B of the vinyl.
0: Yeah, so then it's kind of perfect you start each side with something like that. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, that gives the
1: album a nice congruency, which is like something cool that I wonder because being that it was released in 2007, I wonder if that was something that they even thought about because it would have been probably a CD only release at that time.
0: Yeah, or even digital, not digital only, but you know. Yeah. Well, I wonder I imagine if you really like music and you're a musician you like final and you think about it even if i guess some albums you don't you can definitely don't need side a or side b but a lot of albums even if they weren't released that way feel like they have a first half and a second half
1: yeah i feel like i definitely just downloaded this one this was uh, a download purchase not a physical
0: right well let's go ahead and move on to track number nine burn your life down So, oh, what are what are your initial thoughts on Burn Your Life Down? This is
1: another uh one that's like one of the more poppy songs on the album to me uh and definitely, you know, like gives you a taste of that more straightforward pop that they get into later. Um but it's also really a dark topic.
0: Well, it's a dark topic and there are moments of this song that like are are more aggressive than lots of the rest of the album, too. Yeah. But yeah, it is a a dark topic. This one is their biggest song about the passing of their grandmother. Yeah, it was
1: um, written because of something that her grandfather or her grandpa told her about how he didn't want to like how when they retired, uh, him and the grandmother, the grandma uh, would go on cross country trips. And after she passed away, he didn't want to go on trips anymore because when he would look to his right, she wasn't there. And it made him sad, and he just wanted to cry and go home.
0: But nobody likes to cry.
1: Nobody likes to cry.
0: <laughs> but but, um, but yeah, no, I, that whole like what you were saying, that whole last part of the song, which is the most like punk delivery on this album, I think, is written mm-hmm. from his his point of view. Definitely. And I think that might be my favorite part of the song. Yeah. Like I feel like building the rest of the song to that point is necessary for it to feel as complete, but it definitely is where the song really gets me is in that moment. Yeah. I believe I could be mistaken, but just to uh, tie this to another episode of this show, I believe Jack Antonoff does a cover of this song because they, they did release an album that was just the covers of this.
1: Yeah, that uh, that's the Cyndi Lauper version of Back in Your Head is on that, which the original version of that contains a recording by another person who has recently been put in a, a bad light due to his behavior. Ryan Adams originally did the cover of back in your head and they've taken him off all of the uh, American releases of the covers album. Yeah. It's
0: disgusting and sad. Yes. But you know, I think that's funny. We talked about how this, this album has a lot of hip hop influence. I feel like the covers album version is almost a hip hop. like, there are a lot of hip-hop albums where there's just a remix version of the album. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like other genres do that nearly as much. So that's a little small way they're taking from hip-hop that's interesting and doesn't necessarily correlate with the music. But I feel like, like we were saying how this song builds, I feel like maybe that there's something to be said for different parts of this song being different stages of grief. Mm-hmm. I guess there's kind of like anger acceptance in this song at least if not more yeah definitely all right well let's move along to track 10 19. I'm just going to go ahead and accept responsibility. I almost said track nineteen ten. <laughs> it is very hard not to do, but um, no, what does this song mean to you? This goes back to what we were saying about track five, Are
1: You Ten Years Ago, where it's like looking back at a past relationship, feeling like you've aged and that you've grown throughout your life since then, but then realizing now that you're at the end of another relationship, you feel the same way that you did at the end of that relationship when you were a teenager, even though you're like 25 now.
0: Yeah, and I think there's some hints of like leaving one relationship and rapidly getting into another one. Yeah. And how that can almost be a rush over you. Musically, I just want to say the drums coming in at the refrain this is just another moment of the, the drumming really impressing me on this album yeah
1: yeah the drums are really good on this jason McGurr of death cab for cutie we'll just we'll
0: just plug his name real quick there he is a very impressive drummer i think the refrain to this song falls a little flat to me mm-hmm. i don't know what it is it just doesn't work as well to me as some of their other refrains so you're saying it's kind of like a
1: um bang a gong, get it on, where your verses are really good, but then your chorus is just like, <laughs> really? That's That's what you got?
0: <laughs> yeah, it is kind of like that. <laughs> it's, what, five words? And it's just not even... So I was 19. Sure, that makes sense in the course of the song, but then it follows up with Call Me. And it's just like, I don't know. There's a lot in this album about waiting for a call or just make a call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's
1: just like a thing that tegan because this is a a tegan song and then soil soil she says call waiting for your call and she uses call like throughout the album i feel like to call back to other songs yeah that are about the same thing
0: yeah and i mean it it makes sense of that context but just as the refrain, it just feels kind of forced almost to me
1: yeah no i understand what you mean like she was like Oh, I need to put something about a call in this because
0: I've used it in these other songs almost. Yeah, exactly. And this this refrain isn't complete. It's missing something. So just kind of there it goes. It's easy to happen. You're work you're working on a whole album and you're writing a lot, so the things that are in your mind are going to stay present. It just doesn't feel right here.
1: Yeah. On that note, there was when the bass player that worked on all of Tegan's songs he was saying that when he got the demos, that Sarah's songs were more fully realized and Tegan's songs almost were felt unfinished. Like they had a lot to work on when they got into the studio still. So that could be part
0: of it too. I mean, yeah, you could definitely see that as being... You could even see that whole refrain being like, last minute, I need something. Yeah, he said he felt nervous because they felt
1: so unfinished because the, her demos were just raw and unrefined and just vocals and guitars oh that's interesting i wonder why that was i don't know i wonder if it was just part of her um depression or what she was dealing with at that time of ending a a long-term relationship and just not being motivated
0: like we were talking before yeah it has to be something like that although i do wonder if maybe she i mean they obviously were reaching out to musicians they appreciated and and wanted input from. I wonder if that was part of it too. Mm -hmm. Like she wanted other people to have more insight into the song. I mean, they're both possible and they could both be right at the same time. Yeah. It's just very interesting, but that's kind of where I'm at with 19. It's definitely not one of my favorites on the album. The drums are great, like we said, but yeah, let's go ahead and play a little bit of track 11, Floor Plan. This is another song with really great drums and a really great synth part. I feel like the title's pretty explained in the lyrics, but do you want to talk about what the song means to you or To me it feels like having anxiety with communicating to your partner
1: about our like your emotions or what you're going through or how how you feel they
0: will react to
1: uh, what you're trying to tell them.
0: Well since you you dropped the t-rex earlier i'm gonna say the song is also a cheap trick song (laughs) i mean yeah it is like what you're saying but there's also this like this want to be wanted very badly be needed and i don't know it's that is a hard thing to communicate i guess It's like i want to be wanted so badly by you it hurts yeah you not me it hurts you (laughs) like that's (laughs) the implication of the song right because there's the line i want your lungs to stop working without me
2: yeah
0: one thing that i picked up on the song and I think it's funny, and I mean, it's probably, A, the way the word sounds, and B, what the word means. But when people deliver the word pressure when singing, there's always some kind of affectation on it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because I was just thinking of, you know, obviously Under Pressure by Queen and David Bowie, and Pressure by Billy Joel. Mm-hmm. And then the way they deliver it in this song is, is a weird punch. Yeah. Well, let, let me just ask you this. How would you describe the sound of that synth part in this song? Dissonant. There's almost a sound to it, and I don't think it is this, but there's almost a sound to it where it's like backwards masking. Can you hear that a little bit? Yeah. But again, it's one of those, like I was saying earlier on this album, there's just some very subtle instrumentation that just really builds the the rest of the songs into something more than what they would be without it. This song was really close to being a standout track to me. It it didn't make the cut, but it's definitely one of the stronger points of this album, I think. Yeah. And I don't know, I feel like this is more folky and a little bit more like their earlier stuff, based on what you were saying. Definitely, yeah. But I feel like some places on this album, that stuff didn't work as well, and I feel like this one for sure worked really well. Okay, well, we're gonna move on. We're getting close to the end of this album, but we're gonna play a little bit of track 12, like O, like H, and stylized that the O is capitalized and the H is lowercase. Okay, so that was a little bit of like O, like H. And I'm just going to go ahead and start it off and saying this is my third and final standout track of this album.
1: Yeah, this is one of my favorites on the album as well.
0: It's really good, and it's a great way to touch on childhood anxieties turning into teenage angst. Yes. What, what other thoughts did you have up front about it?
1: That is exactly what I had written.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's what it's about. <laughs> I mean, not exactly, but pretty close. Hiding
1: emotions... From anxiety due to depression, growing up, almost like suicidal thoughts, um but not really wanting to act on them
0: well and it's really interesting because you know a lot of people don't think about emotional problems as a that people have as a child, maybe because. I don't know if it's that they don't take kids seriously or whatever, but it's interesting to come from the viewpoint of a very early age on something like this.
1: Yeah. And that's one thing, the thing that I was reading about what Sarah was talking about this song was like, she had all these thoughts, these anxieties of like being like a hypochondriac when she was very young and like people never even realized that side of her because they just always saw her as like a happy child.
0: Right. And was something else I was reading was that the line, take the hinges off the door. It's based on a, a real thing because apparently their stepfather took the hinges off the doors to their rooms because they were fighting too much, <laughs> <laughs> which is really interesting. Like you just think that's a, an interesting phrase. You don't like I didn't think of it being literal in the song until reading that. Yeah. So I had you listen to uh, a song by Subtle. And the song is Falling. And I, I, I'm sure you know immediately why I had yes, you listen to that.
1: It's almost exactly the same, the way that he phrases S.O.S. at the beginning of the song.
0: It's almost identical. I, when I heard it, I was just like, oh, this gets points for sounding like subtle. This is great.
1: And then I looked it up. Uh, that was released in November of 2007 while the con was released in July of 2007. So I'm wondering if it was an influence on him.
0: Yeah, it could have been an influence or it could have just been a a Great Minds kind of scenario. Yeah. But it is just funny how that delivery is almost identical. Yeah. This this is a little bit off track, but if uh, people want to know more about some of my favorite musicians, Subtle features features two of them, or this song does. Subtle only features one, but uh, there's a second singer on this song and uh, they're both of them are two of my favorite musicians but you know how like as as an artist or a musician sometimes you gauge how well you are by copying somebody else not necessarily in your own work but just trying to imitate it mm-hmm. one of the moments i thought hey i'm not that bad at rapping is when i was able to break down the end part where he's spelling out everything is empty of subtle's falling is there's a part where I'm not going to try to do it. He spells out everything is empty. Like in the classic rap way, it's like E to the V to the E to the R to the y. And Dose One is super fast rapper. So when I could do that like him, I was just really impressed with myself. Yeah, yeah, nice. But back to this song, I mean, I don't know. I feel like in a lot of ways, you said that RU 10 years ago kind of didn't fit in with this album. But I feel like mm-hmm. this song is kind of the counterside musically to that song yeah i could see that this song doesn't i mean this song hits really hard too i mean it's not it's not as harsh but it's it's definitely yeah but it definitely has that weird dark dancey vibe to it too yeah which i really appreciate i was
1: just going to comment that during the tour for the con keegan and sarah would actually fight on stage a lot <laughs> It was kind of just like really interesting
0: and hilarious to watch. And that's something we haven't talked about in this podcast or this discussion. But that's one thing you think about. Siblings who are in bands together, that's almost always problematic. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's incredible that they have kept going for so long.
1: Yeah, there was definitely a lot of tension on stage.
0: Well, you know, you think of other examples, like maybe the most famous example I can think of, Oasis. Those two brothers famously hate each other. Yeah. And then you think back to, uh, well, this this will come into play in the next episode and in a few episodes prior. But if you think of Tim and Mike Kinsella, they don't hate each other, but musically their styles are so very different, even though they have played in a couple... Very, very different. Yeah, very, very different. But they've played in a couple bands together at this point, but yeah. there is obviously a clash of them not wanting to do what the other person is doing. Yeah. So how do you think Tegan and Sarah have kept it going so long? I don't know, actually. I guess
1: you, know, you deal with your differences, you take time apart, just any relationship. I mean, being in a band is like being in a relationship with that person on so many levels beyond being a sibling too.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. So when you add those together, it's, I just imagine like they have family gatherings, they have band practice Mm. and then they don't talk to each other. Yeah.
1: I think they said, for this album, they were not living together. This was like maybe the first album where they weren't living together. feel like I remember reading something about that, but I, I'm not 100% sure.
0: Well, that's interesting that they weren't living together and having bigger fights. Yeah. Again, like I definitely, I think this is this is my second favorite song on this album. I think it's really, really good. I don't know, I don't have much to add. Let's move on to the penultimate track, track 13, Dark Comes Soon. I feel like in a lot of ways, this song is a pretty perfect example of a next to the last song on an album. Mm -hmm. First off, the song is is a great build, it has a lot of great changes, and then backs off to that last line. But on top of that, a lot of what's going on in the music and the changes is almost like a culmination of everywhere they've come from on this album so far.
1: Yeah, this one has a lot of the against me influences to me on it too. definitely has like more of like a punk rock feel with like the palm muting and stuff but it still they have that like that great synth line yeah when
0: the backing vocals have that punk feel too yeah this is a this is really just in title alone but it in the last of me pointing out this sounds or reminds me of something else camper von beethoven come on darkness it's it's the same kind of uh hesitate how how to use the word darkness but it's like let everything be enveloped in the night and hidden in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's different in that song and in this song, but it's the same kind of like, it's over anyways, just let's hide it and move on. Yeah. What other thoughts did you have about the title and the song itself? Just that line, so what, I lied to me too. Yeah, that's a, it's perfect, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> like I feel like that's part of being human. Like that's the line that really captures the human experience in a lot of ways. Yeah. Again, like we were talking about earlier, this is another song where it's very much looking at your own flaws it's it's being able to accept the blame or being aware of yourself definitely and yeah i think the changes like i was saying the changes in this song are really nice i think it is a really strong next to last song i almost don't even mention it but the the synths are still good here and this isn't the the strongest drumming on the album, but it, like we've been saying, the drumming is really good and it really works in this song too.
1: Yeah, it's more just straightforward drumming on this one. I feel like.
0: Yeah, but I feel like whereas other songs, it might have been a detriment to the song to have the more straightforward. I feel like it's about knowing when to do that. Yeah. Because there's so many other changes and builds going on that it, you kind of need that to keep it straight. Yeah. But I think we're uh, I think we're ready to talk about the final track of the album. Yeah. All right. Well, let's listen to a little bit of track fourteen call it off. This, this works as a final song, obviously, but just like I Was Married and Soil, Soil, they keep that that kind of continuity of ending it on a softer song, but this song still is different than those two songs. Yeah. But it still has that that softer feel than the, a lot of the rest of the album. It's
1: definitely um, poppier than a lot of the songs that Tegan wrote for this album, I feel like. Most of her songs on this album have like a darker feel to them, but this one... It's just it's more upbeat. I feel like even though it's
0: like a softer song, and it continues the uh, call theme. Yeah. Well, I don't know who covers this on the covers album, but I could before I even knew that there's a covers album. Listening to this song, I was like, oh, this would be so easy to do a country cover of this song. Oh yeah. It just has such a country feel to it. It's not a country song, but it could easily be reinterpreted that way. Yeah.
1: Let's see who did the uh, the cover. Churches.
0: Really? Yeah. Hmm, I'm trying to picture that I'll have to go back and listen to the cover album. The cover album wasn't vital for this conversation besides mentioning it, but I want I'm curious now to go back and listen to it for sure yeah definitely so yeah what did you what did you get lyrically from this song from the title just that that line that she says over and over
1: again maybe I'd be something you'd be good at. maybe you'd be something I'd be good at just having that uncertainty or not even uncertainty just being like we could have been so much more if you would have just given us a chance kind of thing.
0: It ties into that, uh, that relationship where you were unclear of what's going on throughout the album. Yeah. What's interesting is that I, I read that this song was actually about her wife uh, who they were touring and her wife was uh, doing merch for the band they were touring with. And it wasn't her wife at the time. And yeah, she really liked her and she kept, trying to like make it clear that she was interested and then apparently when they were shooting one of the music videos for the song that person was there for some reason like they knew the director or something and then found out that the song was about her or had something to do with her and that's how they got together oh wow so that was an interesting story i heard but yeah i think i think this is a a good way to end this album it's there's a bitterness to it but it it, a term that gets that gets used a lot. It, there's a bittersweetness to this song, mm-hmm. just kind of like the first song in a kind of circular way, but different entirely. Yeah. I don't know. What were your other thoughts about it? Uh, I didn't really have anything else on that one. Well, well, now that we've gone through the whole album track by track, what what else would you like to say about the album as a whole, or what what's become even more clear to you now talking about it? Or
1: I feel like in general, I like the Tegan songs better because they're darker but the the sarah songs definitely have like the poppiness to them that is what they go forward with that
0: is also great too well let me ask you this do you think either one of them would work as well as a solo act i'm not sure because like
1: i feel like they don't help each other in the songwriting process but they definitely like play off each other, even though like there's like this unspoken connection because
0: they're twins, obviously. Yeah, right. But th- there's a <laughs> there's a balance between their two so- st- songwriting styles. I feel. Yeah. Like. Yeah, definitely. That is what makes this work, and I feel like it works better with that balance than either one would work individually. Yeah. Not to speak that say that either one of them are not talented. It's just you know that's kind of what helps them as an act is to have two different voices that because they're siblings they their voices sound good together but aren't the same voice. Yeah. But yeah, I was I enjoyed this album for sure. And I I it wasn't what like I said at the top, it wasn't what I was expecting from a Tegan and Sarah album. Mm -hmm. Another question is something i would like to ask while we're sitting here wrapping up. If someone asked you, hey I like the con by Tegan and Sarah, what's something non-Tegan and Sarah that I should listen to? Uh I, I, I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. Well, okay, so I'm going to give two suggestions based on two different things. So if you like their more like punk influenced stuff and this is a very obscure band that might be hard to find, but Jason you might actually know this band. I I might recommend looking into trying to find Bella Fay. Oh, okay. They were like female fronted post hardcore. Yeah. And they're from North Carolina, but I think there, there's something good. If you liked stuff like Like O, Like H, or Are You 10 Years Ago, and want something that's a little bit more maybe beat-influenced, hip-hop-influenced, I would very highly recommend this EP, and it's the only thing they've released. It's, a, it's called Divorcee, and it's basically back to some, one of my favorite musicians. This guy who used to be a guy that went by Y and then became a band that went by Y, wrote a whole album basically about his breakup, which a lot of people do. It's That's part of the history of music for sure. But then 10 years later, he made this six song EP where he did all the music and then his ex, who that album he made was about, gets to sing her side of it. And uh, I would recommend that maybe. Hmm. But that's only more for the more hip hop, darker stuff of this album. Not every song would sound like it. Yeah, But I think that's that's one of the things about recommending this album is there's like, three or four different styles they play in and so it's you can't really make one blanket suggestion it is kind of divided by with this style this yeah i would say
1: maybe um des arc i feel like that's something that i listen to a lot when i'm listening to tegan and sarah too i'll like put that like one of her albums on
0: yeah that's a good one Uh, another
1: north carolina artist a lot of like similar like lyrical themes as far as like relationships uh
0: and depression yeah that that one definitely fits a lot also deslark does a balance of like more aggressive songs and then softer songs too yeah well i think we've kind of said what we need to say about tiga and sarah's the con uh thank you so much for joining me here yeah no problem uh, i hope to have you back soon to discuss something else yes definitely we will have to figure that out definitely all right well once again thanks man brings us to the close of another episode I just want to remind people to check out jason's band glue traps have more information in the show description to find links for that in the same place you can also find our social media pages and ways to contact us we definitely would value your comments and suggestions and recommendations even On our next episode, we will be discussing How Memory Works, the second album by Joan of Arc. The recording is the first thing ever done for this podcast, and it was a little bit different, so it won't be your typical episode, but the content is still very good, and if you enjoyed the first Joan of Arc episode, you'll definitely not want to miss this one. Until next time, thanks for listening. This podcast is an abandoned mascot production and part of the Abandoned Mascot Network, a loose affiliation of podcasts for media arts creators and connoisseurs. For more information, follow us on Twitter at Abandoned Masco1. That's Abandoned, M A S C O, and the number one. Thanks for listening.